0: Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. So, I'm preparing to fly off to the US on Tuesday. So, I'm going to the Exponential Church Planting Conference in Orlando. Um, And so, it's going to be a long flight (laughs) to LA, and then I have a layover. And eventually, I will land in Orlando at 6 a.m., like two days later. (laughs) And then I'll be there for a 10 day uh, church planting conference. Apparently, there's going to be like 40,000 people there, so it's going to be quite intense. Um, the first thing every morning is a 6 a.m. prayer meeting, and the last meeting ends at 8 p.m., so it's going to be a lot of sitting for a lot of meetings and a lot of talking, And um, but I'm looking forward to hopefully being inspired by it, and on the way back, I'll have a, a three-day, three-to-four-day layover with um, See My Family Um, in California, and then come back. So Roy will be a single dad for the time, so give him lots of love and support, and um, also we've got lined up two internal guest speakers, and by internal, I mean from our own community. So the following Sabbath, Daryl will be preaching, and then the week after that, Pauline will be sharing a message. So um, please come out and show your support for them, um, and give them lots of love and prayer as they prepare as well. So I've started a new series on names of God. Those of you who were here last time I preached, I preached about the name El Shaddai, one of the many names of God. In fact, the Bible has over 100 names of God. So some say 99, some say more than 100, but we can all agree a lot of different names for God. And I shared last time how names tell us a lot about a person who remembers my middle name. Oh, well done. Yes, my middle name is Jeannie. Who remembers what Jinha means? Oh, very good, Lily. Um, My name Jinha means true water. That's right. And so hopefully you had a chance to think about your own name and kind of what it represents and what it means um, and what kind of hopes and dreams your parents had for you. I shared about how, um, just a little review, El Shaddai um, has so many layers of meaning. It's often translated as God Almighty, but I like that, um, looking at it a, big, a bit deeper, um, I liked that kind of phrase of El Shaddai meaning the God who holds all things together um, and the God who nourishes, the God who is all sufficient. And I shared how God revealed this name, Al Shaddai, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were the patriarchs of the Israelite people, the Hebrew um, people group. And God promised specifically as he was revealing himself as El Shaddai, he specifically said that as he was making promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about how he was going to give them children and descendants as numberless as the stars. Now, what happened is over the years, God fulfilled that promise. So Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Uh, Actually, he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And they also had children, and those children multiplied. And what ends up happening is that the descendants of Abraham end up, because of a famine, they end up in Egypt. And at first, they thrive there, but over time, the Pharaoh um, really doesn't like them, and They end up becoming an enslaved people group, ethnic group in Egypt. In fact, the new pharaoh even orders that all the male babies uh, be killed. There's one boy that gets saved by his mother. She places him in a basket and and floats him on the river Nile, where an Egyptian princess finds him and names him Moses. Um, Let me... And uh, from the archaeological discoveries, it's very possible that this princess who adopted Moses was none other than Hatshepsut, who actually later became Pharaoh herself. She didn't have any children of her own, but she married um, another royal person and later had a stepson from that lineage who um, was Thutmose III. And later on, this stepson of hers would face. Moses in the confrontation of the Exodus. So Moses grew up in the palace, being trained and groomed to become this great ruler. But you know how last time I talked about how my name, you know, I've got this Korean name and I grew up in America, so then I was Korean-American. So I had this American name, Jeannie, and I shared about how I grew up with these two identities, right, that kind of tugged at each other and I never really kind of belonged at either one. And now I'm Australian, so I'm, like, really confused, right? And so I, I, I imagine Moses, right, growing up as the son of Pharaoh, but he knows he's Hebrew. He knows that his real people are those who are enslaved, who are being mistreated and abused by the Egyptian lords. And so I imagine Moses, growing up, always had that bit of an identity crisis and struggle in his heart. Yes, he's this Egyptian um prince, but he's also one of the Hebrews who are being mistreated. And as he, you know, became a man and he's given responsibilities and he's out and about, he sees an Egyptian slave lord beating a Hebrew man. And Moses, like so many others before him and so many people after him, decides to take matters into his own hands and struggles with the Egyptian lord and kills him. And he thinks he can get away with it. The word spreads, people find out, and the Pharaoh finds out, and the Pharaoh sees this act of Moses as a sign of Moses finally choosing which side he's on. So then Pharaoh is now trying to kill him, and Moses runs away, feeling like a complete failure. He flees to the land of Midian. I don't have a map that I did, um, which basically is kind of the southern part of um, what is today Israel, but in the southern Jordan, uh, towards the bottom there. And while he's there, he becomes a shepherd. And so for 40 years, Moses, who had been prince of Egypt, is watching after sheep. Can you imagine how he must have felt? He had so much promise and potential as this leader who was going to do great things, not just for Egypt, for for his own people, right? He probably had grand designs of how when he became ruler and he had position and power, he could finally do something to save his people. But instead, he's been disqualified from leadership, exiled from Egypt. He has failed to deliver anyone, let alone himself. Then one day, 40 years later, it's a long time to feel like a failure. Moses is with his sheep journeying towards Mount Horeb when something strange catches his eye. It says, now Moses in Exodus 3, verses 1 to 3, it says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, he had gone married, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flames of fire from within a bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Normally when there's a bushfire, you run away, right? You get your, make sure all your sheep are safe and you, you get out of there. But as Moses, I imagine, was gathering the sheep and was trying to get away, and he's keeping an eye to see if that fire is spreading, it's not. In fact, as he's expecting the fire, and, you know, he he would have had lots of experience with bushfires in the the wilderness. He's expecting it to start licking up, you know, the trees and, and, and the grass and everything around. But the fire is contained. And the tree where the fire is at is not even burning up. And so Moses goes closer to this phenomenon to see what is happening. And notice what happens next. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Can you imagine 40 years of feeling like you have completely failed your mission to do anything for God or his people. And then all of a sudden, God is speaking to you. Now I want to pause for a moment in the story to explain something. Whenever you see the word God in the English Bible, the Hebrew word that it represents is actually Elohim. So that's what it looks like in the Hebrew at the bottom there. And it's translated in our English Bibles as God. But then there's another word. As you um, read it, the English Bible, you'll notice that it says, whenever it says the Lord, but notice how it's in all caps or it'll be in small caps. That is actually not the word Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is Adonai, but it's not Adonai. There's another word that is being used there and that word is that Hebrew that you see at the bottom and in English literally it's it's the equivalent of YHWH basically there are four letters of the Hebrew alphabet so why is this word translated as the lord well you see this is actually another name for god in fact this is the personal name of god and the hebrew priests did not want to say his name out loud because they considered it too holy. So every time they would, you know, read the scrolls of Genesis, Exodus, etc., and they got to this word which is the name of God, instead of saying his name, they would say Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord instead. And so then this tradition just got carried over into the English translation. But to to distinguish it from the actual Hebrew word Adonai, they put the Lord in all caps. So every time you see in your English Bible, the Lord in all caps, it's actually this name of God that is being used. Now, because over the centuries, no one said his name out loud, no one actually knows how this word is supposed to be pronounced. Other Hebrew words we know because oral tradition has carried it down over the centuries. And so actually ancient Hebrew doesn't have vowels. And so, um, it's all just consonants, and you would just know how it's supposed to be pronounced because of the oral tradition that's been handed down. But because this word was never spoken out loud, this name of God, no one actually knows what it's supposed to sound like. But scholars have agreed to, to, to call it Yahweh. Okay? So from now on, I will call it Yahweh. This, these four letters. And the technical word is the tetragrammaton, but that's okay. Just tuck that away in your brain. Now, Yahweh, because it was never spoken out loud, and when um, the Bible became translated into Latin, um, and over the centuries, um, the Latinized version of Yahweh with Adonai, which was what was spoken, got merged into what is called Jehovah. So if you've ever heard Jehovah, it's actually like a Latin weird version of Yahweh. Um, over the years, but it's all the same thing. And so to make it easier, I'm going to be using a translation of the Bible called Names of God. So if you go to Bible Gateway and you use the Names of God translation, that Bible will actually tell you the names of God for what it is as you read it. So let's continue now the story. In Exodus chapter 3, continuing on, Yahweh said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers. I know how much they're suffering. I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good land with plenty of room for everyone. It is a land flowing with milk and honey where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live. I have heard the cry of the people of Israel. I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. So that you can bring my people Israel out of Egypt. Now if Moses still had been that impetuous and arrogant young man, at this point he would have said, great, finally God is doing something for his people. When do I leave? But time has passed and Moses knows his many flaws. And so Moses is intimidated and overwhelmed and balks at this call. So if you continue reading in the story, Moses says, But Moses said to Elohim, um, Elohim being the generic kind of word for God that all the uh, ancient um, Canaanites used for their gods as well, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? Elohim answered, I will be with you. And this will be the proof that I sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, all of you will worship Elohim on this mountain. Then Moses... Oh, sorry. My slides are not working. Let's see. Then Moses replied to Elohim, Suppose I go to the people of Israel and say to them, The Elohim of your... Aunt oh, sorry. Let me go back to the previous verse. But Moses said to Elohim... Um, who will, oh, sorry, and this will be the proof that I sent you. Um, then Moses replied to Elohim. There we go. Suppose I go to the people of Israel and say to them, the Elohim of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And Elohim answered Moses, Ehe, who Yehe, this is what you must say to the people of Israel. Yehe has sent me to you. Okay. Let me read one more verse, and then I'll explain. And again, Elohim said to Moses, this is what you must say to the people of Israel. Yahweh Elohim of your ancestors, the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my title throughout every generation. All right, what is going on? There's a lot of Hebrew words being thrown around. So when Moses is you know, intimidated. He, he doesn't really feel comfortable or confident going and doing this thing. He hasn't seen his people in 40 years, right? He's not even comfortable speaking, you know, the Hebrew language anymore. Um, now, I grew up in Korea, and I moved to the U.S. when I was eight years old. So I went to kindergarten and grade one in Korea. And then I did grade two, uni, and master's in America. And so when I meet Korean people, and they start talking to me in Korean, I'm like sweating, because even though I understand it, and even though I, um, you know, know it pretty well, I'm not used to speaking it anymore, right? Because I hardly ever speak it. I talk to my parents in Korean, but our conversation consists of, how are you? Are you eating well? Yes. How are the kids? They're good. You know, that's pretty much our conversation. Our vocabulary is very limited. And so, you know when i meet korean people who are actually wanting to have full conversations with me and i have to dig into the recesses of my brain to bring out you know my korean it's terrifying and so moses is thinking to himself i haven't spoken the egyptian language in you know in 40 years right i haven't i haven't even talked to my fellow hebrew people in 40 years how am i supposed to go to them and he says what if i go to them and they ask me which God has sent you? Right? There were many gods that many people worshipped in that, in that time. So he's saying, what name should I give? And then God says, Ehe, my name is Yehe, who Yehe. He says, Ehe has sent, sent me, uh, sent you. And then he says, Yahweh Elohim has sent you. So what does that word mean? So, Ehe, which is that that's the Hebrew there. It means I am who I am, or I am that I am. Or it can also be translated, I am who will be. Those are all correct. It's a, t- it's a type of verb that isn't just one point in time. In other words, God is saying, I am the one who has always existed, is existing, and will always exist. Now, what is Yahweh. Yahweh is basically, he is. So he's like, I am this. But it's weird if Moses goes and says, I am has sent me. So God gives him the name, he is who he is. Or he will be who he will be. So he's saying to Moses, you go tell him, Yahweh has sent you. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I know it's a bit confusing, okay? So God is saying, I am who I am. Now go tell the Israelites that he who is who he is has sent you so the pronoun changes. um, And he's basically revealing himself as Yahweh to um, Moses here. Now, why does God use this name? Why does God use the name Yahweh instead of El Shaddai? El Shaddai was a lovely name, the God who holds all things together, right? The God who is all-sufficient, the God who nurtures and nourishes. That's the name that that God had given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that's the name that each patriarch handed down to their children. So why does God give Moses this other name? We actually discovered that the first time the, the name of God Yahweh is used in the Bible is in Genesis 2. So in Genesis 1, when it talks about God creating the world the world, the name of God that is used is Elohim. But when you get to Genesis 2, and it talks about God taking the dust from the ground, forming the man, and breathing the breath of life into his, into his nostrils, it's Yahweh. And the God who comes to Adam and Eve after they've sinned, and talks to them, it's Yahweh. And the God who comes to Abraham, and makes a covenant and a promise to him about how one day they will possess that land, and how one day one of his descendants, Abraham's descendants, is going to be a blessing for all nations, he comes as Yahweh. And the next time I preach, I'm going to talk more about Abraham and his understanding of Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God that is used the most in the Old Testament, over 6,500 times. It is the personal name of God. Like I said, Elohim is the generic word God that was used by all the nations pretty much, right? That could mean any God. But Yahweh was the name of the God of Israel. In fact, this Moabite monument was discovered in 1868. And it dates to around 840 B.C. And it talks about King Mesha of Moab and his victories over the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And he talks about the altars of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So this name was known as the name of the God of Israel. Yahweh, who is and who will be. I wonder if God gave this name to Moses Because it's a name that proclaims that God exists, that he is ever-present, even through our suffering. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they needed this promise of El Shaddai, of this God who was going to provide the lineage, their future generations. But now those generations have become slaves, and they're crying out, and they're wondering, where is El Shaddai? Where is the almighty God? Where is the God of our, of our ancestors who promised the land of, you know, the promised land, but here we are stuck as slaves? Can you imagine the cries of the parents as their baby boys were snatched from them and killed by, by all the Egyptian um, soldiers who were who are obeying the command of the Pharaoh? And they're crying out to El Shaddai, wondering, where is he? I wonder if the name of Yahweh is given to let the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob know that he is still the God who is and who will be. That even though they cannot see it in the midst of their circumstance, God still has a plan When Moses comes to the Israelites, things get worse, not better. And, you know, when we think about Moses, you might think about the parting of the Red Sea. And you might think about, you know, the ten plagues and and the River Nile, you know, turning into blood. And the ten commandments being given on Mount Sinai. But before all of that happens, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, can you please let this is what he says. I'll, I'll read it to you. Exodus 5. This is what Yahweh Elohim of Israel says. Let my people go into the desert to celebrate a festival in my honor. And Pharaoh asked, Who is Yahweh? Right? Who is this? He's never heard of him. Why should I obey him and let it go? I don't know Yahweh. I won't let Israel go. And what happens is Pharaoh is like, I don't not not, not only do I not know Yahweh, clearly you're just trying to get the Israelites away from me. And instead of um, listening to what Moses has to say, he orders and commands that now the Israelites have to make bricks for the great building you know, works of Egypt without being given the materials. He says, now I want you all to go and gather the materials for yourself. And so then the slave drivers go and tell the Israelites, this is what Pharaoh says, I'm no longer giving you any straw. Get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your workload will not be reduced one bit. So then you know what happens? The Israelites turn on Moses. And they say to him, what have you done? (laughs) Right? You've made things worse for us. You're going to get us all killed. So then Moses goes back, it says, to Yahweh and asks, why have you brought this trouble on your people? Why did you send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak for you, he has treated your people cruelly. And you have done nothing at all to rescue your people. And I imagine that that would have been something that God heard a lot for the many, many generations that the Israelites were in slavery, right? You have done nothing for us. Listen to God's response. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I will show him my power, and he will let my people go. I will show him my power, and he will throw them out of his country. Elohim spoke to Moses, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, but I didn't make myself known to them by my name, Yahweh. I even made a promise to give them Canaan, the land where they lived as foreigners. Now I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians hold as slavery, and I have remembered my promise. And he repeats, Tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh. Okay, notice how he's, he's letting them know, hey, I am the God who is, who will be. Not just the God of the past. Not just the God that your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents had miracles and, 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 you know, stories of. I am the God that, yes, right now you don't see it. Right now you only see your circumstances, but I am the God who is going to deliver you. I am Yahweh, I will bring you out from under the oppression of the Egyptians, and I will free you from slavery. I will rescue you with my powerful arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Then I will make you my people, and I will be your Elohim. You will know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out from under the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I solemnly swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your own possession. And just in case you missed it, he says again, I am Yahweh. God repeats that personal name to remind Moses and all the people, I am the ever-present God. I am the promise-keeping God. I am the God who is working, even though you don't know it, and who will deliver you, even though it hasn't happened yet. Here's the response of the Israelites, Exodus 6:9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to him because they were so discouraged by their back-breaking work. I don't blame them, right? When you're in the midst of discouragement, it's hard to believe that God exists or cares or has power to help. And if the story ended here, they would be very justified in giving up their faith. And if Moses, in his discouragement, had listened to the people or seen that they didn't listen to him and said, what's the point, point?" and had gone back to Midian, Yahweh would have been a bitter name in his memory. But here's the thing even though the people don't listen, even though the circumstances have have gotten worse, not better, Moses clings to the name of Yahweh. And he obeys Yahweh's instructions to go back to Pharaoh, to go back and talk to him, to go back and, and do whatever God commands him to do, even though a lot of the commands that God gives Moses doesn't make sense. And even though there's a process where... You know, time after time, plague after plague, Pharaoh still doesn't let them go. But Moses continues to obey, trusting that the God who is, is the God who will be. And that the God who was speaking to him, and the God who spoke to him in the burning bush, was going to be the God who delivered them out of Egypt. And that is exactly what happens. If you read the rest of the story, you find out. And indeed, Moses does get all the Israelites out of Egypt, and they have this triumphant, glorious victory. And they do eventually make it to the promised land. But it takes time. It takes faith in the God of Yahweh. This Wednesday and Thursday, Roy and I um, were in professional development meetings. And our speaker this year was Dr. Petras Bahador, who is the director for the Global Center for Adventist-Muslim Relations. It was actually quite um, very interesting talks. And later on in the year, um, I'll share some of the things that he shared with us. But I want to share one thing today that he told us, which is that Muslims all over the world have been having dreams of Isa. If you're wondering who Isa is, it's the Arabic name for Jesus. There are people all over the world who are having dreams about Jesus. He has met many of them himself. And they actually have a website called Dreams of Isa, where people can uh, share, I hey, ha- I've had this dream, and then um, there's someone who can talk to them about it. We actually had a visitor to our church last year. Some of you might have met her. Who, who, a Muslim lady, who had a dream about Jesus, and she ended up becoming a Christian. Dr. Petrus was telling us how, a few months ago, as you know, there's the the conflict in the Gaza has been going on for a while now, and a few months ago, um, a lot of the families who had lost children in the conflict. Um, and who lost homes and, you know, who lost everything um, and have been displaced, um, were being helped by various aid organizations. 200 of those refugees all had the exact same dream about Jesus in one night. And they ended up um, becoming Christians. And Dr. Petras told us many other stories like that and experiences that he has had over the years, um, and even recent times. And when I think about what he shared with us, and I think about all that's happening around the world today, especially in areas of conflict, something that I am struck by is this idea that the war is not over, and the suffering has not ended, and justice has not yet come. Because we live in the not yet right? God has not delivered us yet. Judgment has not been meted out yet. Healing has not come yet. Our prayers have not been answered yet. And the good news about Jesus has not been spread to all the world yet. But here, as we live in the not yet, one thing that we can cling to is that God is Yahweh, who is and who will be. He is still the promise keeper and the story is not finished yet. So even in our suffering and in our challenges we can cry out with Job, a man who suffered very much. As he said in Job chapter 1 verse 21, naked I came from my mother and naked I will return. Yahweh has given and Yahweh has taken away. May the name of Yahweh be praised. So whatever circumstances you're facing at the moment, whatever challenges, I want to leave you with this promise of the name of Yahweh. And I want to inspire you to, to hope and cling to the fact that the God who is, is the God who will be. He will never leave or forsake us. He will fulfill his promises. And if you continue to obey and, and cling to him in faith, the end of your story will be far more glorious than you can ever imagine at the moment. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father God, we want to thank you for being the God of Yahweh. The God who has always existed. The God who will always exist. The God who has a plan from the beginning to the end. Father, we live in the middle of the story. We live in the mess and the chaos, and the pain, and the uncertainty. I pray, Lord, that we will cling to your promises, that we will remember that you are the God who delivered the Israelites out of slavery. You are the God who called Moses to leadership. You are the God who, in the midst of all that's happening around the world, still show that you exist, that you care, and that you are fulfilling your promises. I pray that you would give us all courage and hope and faith to cling on to your name and to live being a blessing to others and sharing the good news that you are the God who cares. Father, be with those who couldn't join us today for whatever reason um, and be Yahweh to them. And until we meet again, Watch over us all, we pray in your son's name. Amen.